everyone, and welcome to the Lunch Hour Sports Podcast. Here with your hosts, Jacob Smedley, Sam Betts, and Justin Rehammer. We're a bit short-staffed for this episode, but, but it doesn't matter. We're bringing the content anyways. Topics today, we got the MLB lockout still going on. Sam has the very latest with that. And the NFL playoff Super Wild Card Weekend is underway. We will have some, some overview, some picks as well. Now here's Sam Betts. MLB lockout. What's going on, Sam? And Jake, life without baseball is a sad one. It's also sad that it might not even start on time when the season rolls around. The MLB Players Association and owners of the teams have been in a lockout since December 2nd. This is the first work stoppage for the MLB since the 94-95 season. And that was a bad one because that was when the MLB tried to have minor league players play on teams. They tried to continue it, and it it, it just didn't really go well. That was a really bad work stoppage. But anyways, so like I said before, the MLB Players Association and the owners of the 30 MLB clubs uh, need to come up with a new collective bargaining agreement. Now, this is basically just a document that dictates how owners and players kind of work together in, a, in the work environment of Major League Baseball. However, the original collective bargaining agreement was canceled or uh, ended its term on December 1st at 11.59 p.m. So right as, right as the stroke of midnight on December 2nd, they need to come up with a new one. The owners kind of came up with this lockout and decided to vote for it as a way to kind of prevent the players from taking over too much control or trying to gain more leniency in agreements with um, certain aspects of their contracts or anything like that. In fact, the last MLB contract that was given out before the lockout was Jordan Lyles, a relief pitcher, who then signed a deal with the Orioles for one year, $7 million. So after that... Best player right there to get the get the money. Get yeah. the money before the lockout. After that... No other, I mean, minor league contracts have been given out. The minor, the minor leagues is not affected by this at all. Just to mention, uh, they're still planned to have a complete minor league season. Uh, they've been handing out minor league contracts to a bunch of different players. In fact, I saw one for uh, Alex Claudio, a relief pitcher, was given one by the Mets, I believe. That was the latest one. But all MLB transactions, all trades, free agency, and players can't even go to their own uh, facilities to work out or practice or anything like that. So the players and the owners are separated right now. This has been going on since December 2nd, uh, currently 46 days into this lockout, and it's not looking good. Yeah, especially when, and I think you'll get into this too, the, the first meeting, they got nowhere. They're getting nowhere for 46 days. They had a meeting moved back, and it just seems like just both sides are just stuck in the mud in terms of not moving any ground towards progression. No, that's definitely correct. Uh, Jeff Pat- Passan, who's one of the uh, lead writers for the MLB, uh, even commented and said that the players left that meeting even more disappointed, even more angry than they already were. Uh, the MLB only covered minor topics, not even the main things that the players wanted to be covered in the collective bargaining agreement. And it didn't go anywhere. And this was Jeff Passan even said that he didn't expect this meeting to go on anywhere and that the start of spring training could even be in peril. 
I mean, if we look at it now, it's currently the 16th of January. Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in mid-February, around this time. So uh, the, the MLB essentially has a month, and so does the MLB Players Association, to get something together. And also, on top of that, you have free agency. You have well over 60-plus guys, probably even more, that still need to be signed by teams. A lot of the big fish, too. Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, uh, etc. There still needs to be a whole nother free agency kind of period to take place as well before you even start to... You know, I mean, of course, you have guys that sign during spring training, and that might have to happen, but you, you got to have some some leeway there too where guys can get adjusted with teams and that's not going to happen. Yeah, and the reason one of the reasons this lockout is happening, like I said the owners instated it is that the owners as well as Rob uh Rob Manfred the the commissioner of the MLB. Yeah, I know. I also as Jake is giving a disgruntled look. Give it, give also, it me a migraine. He's I giving also, me a migraine. Just I talking also about do it. not like Rob Manfred. I think he is awful. Anyways, they don't want to continue the offseason unless there is a collective bargaining agreement, which is fair. The owners don't want the players to get any leverage until they agree to like some new terms. Well, what do these players want? Like, what are they asking for? Well, I don't think it's too much actually. They want to discuss. They want to discuss why oh the average like sal why the average player salary has been going down. It has while we've been seeing all the big like Bryce Harper, Garrett Cole, uh, all these like big deals going out. The average salary for like your non-star has been has been decreasing by a fair bit and players are kind of wondering why that's happening. Another thing they want to do, they want to look at is service time manipulation. Now we've seen this a couple times in the past. Uh, I know Chris Bryant was a big star who had this effect with him who and wondered why he wasn't getting any money. Well, is because the Cubs kind of held him back a little bit before they decided to bring him up to start like his MLB to start his MLB experience or to start his MLB uh, service time. And Gavin Lux is another guy who I could think of. The Dodgers weren't necessarily bringing him up when he was especially ready and had proven himself to be at the point where he could play in the major leagues. What happens is, since these players get held back, it delays the amount of time that they can enter free agency, and it also delays their arbitration dates. Now, arbitration is a point at where MLB players uh, meet with lawyers or they meet with their club and they meet with their uh, president of operations and their clubs to kind of discuss how much money they should get and why they should earn this certain amount of money. Uh, it's a very, uh, sometimes it could go really well, sometimes it could go really bad, but it's a very important process to make sure that the players are being paid the specific amount that they should be paid. And and looking at it, I guess specifically, not to cut you off, Sam, but kind of in comparison to other sports, of course, like football, basketball, hockey as well, because baseball has such a, a deep kind of minor league system, guys moving up, you have that kind of threshold that's different in, of course, Football, they don't have, of course, that minor league system. Basketball, it's that G League, but there's no kind of manipulation like that. Where it's baseball, where you have that kind of cusp between AAA and the major leagues that, again, greedy owners, of course, you know, there's other words that describe them, are using that to, for leveraging the young players. 
Yeah, and the thing is with the minor leagues too is that it's very like black and white. Like you're if you're in AAA, you're being paid a minor league contract. You're not being paid your MLB contract. When you get up to the MLB, you receive that big MLB contract where you're getting paid the big bucks. You've made it to the show. Like that is your MLB salary. So it's a very like black. It's very black and white, thin line about. Hey, like, I, obviously, if a guy's showing talent, yeah, he should be called up to the MLB. Like, they want their players to win. But this leads into the other segment that players want to talk about, and that's teams tanking. We've seen this in basketball a couple times, but this is kind of new to baseball. Like, you don't usually see MLB teams, like, trying to tank to get, like, their high draft picks. But we've seen teams like the Pirates, who went 61 and 101, and the Diamondbacks, who went 52 and 110. Those are just two teams that kind of stuck out in my mind, who, who their rosters aren't really filled with, like, big-name guys, or it doesn't seem like they're, trying, they're like, trading a lot of prospects or they're trading a lot of people, and they have a lot of young players, and they're paying them, obviously, like, the, their minimum amount because they're younger and they're not, like, the big stars. They haven't, like, proved themselves yet. So they're, pay, so they're able to pay their players, like, not a lot while getting a lot of high draft picks and to kind of build up their team. Or they don't have to, like, there's no, like, aspiring to, like, get better, essentially. Like, and that's what kind of something some of the players want. Well, like, if they want to be on a winning team, they want to make sure their team is getting, taking the steps to get better and get to a championship level. Yeah, and I think before, before you go on, just kind of mixing it in, and I think you'll mention this as well, about the small market versus the big market teams. Which teams are spending, like a team like the Red Sox is much less likely to go into a full rebuild than let's say the Pirates who are in a relatively smaller market. The Royals maybe another example. Of course, maybe they're in a better situation than the Pirates, but in a smaller market where, it, but, but all of these teams have million dollar, billion dollar owners that just in some cases aren't willing to spend money to improve the marketplace for other players. So yeah, you've got that divide as well between the small market, the clear divide between the small market teams and the big market teams, which is what the players are talking about. Yeah. And another thing I want to cover is that on the MLB team website, so like the Philadelphia Phillies website, for example, since that's our favorite team, all the players, all the unfortunately, players, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> for many reasons. But anyways, all the players' faces have been removed from their names, uh, which means that they just have like the default like player picture, gray, like, gray, the, outline the gray outline with the white it's a, a guy. It's a it's a guy with no face with a hat. Yeah, that made some of the players really mad. So in retaliation, I know guys like Nick Pavetta, I believe Ian Happ was another one, and a few others put that face as their profile picture on like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, kind of just as like a stab back since they can't like use their own faces, which I think is kind of weird. So one of the most important questions about this lockout is when is it going to end? And you know what? That's a really good question. And there's an answer that no one really knows. No one really knows when this is going to happen. Like I said, the middle of February is when pitchers and catchers report. This could go on right up until the season starts. This could go even past when the season starts. This is going to the, when the middle of the season is supposed to be. Uh, like I said, the 94-95 lockout went on for a long time, and the MLB had to have like minor league players and a bunch of other like stand-ins like, come and play games and try to attract crowds. However, the, like I said before, the minor league season 
is not going to be affected by this. There's still going to be minor league baseball, especially since the 2020 season kind of cleared them out. They were able to come back in 2021 and play their full seasons. But minor league baseball is coming back, which is really nice because I love minor league baseball as well. But for the MLB clubs, it looks like they're in for the long haul. And it's either going to come down to whether the owners give in or to whether the players give in and the owners just hold out until something happens. Now, question, question for you, Sam. Yeah, what's where up? do you side in all this? Are oh, you, where do are I you side? Uh, players or owners? Because I, I, you know, it may seem straightforward to some people. At least, which side should appear as the good side? But I just want to ask you: You're given all the facts. You're given the baseline. But which side do you kind of stand with here in these negotiations? So I understand where the owners are coming from. Obviously, you're trying to run a complete uh, major league baseball team. And and also coordinate with minor league teams. So that's about 100 plus players, maybe around like the 150. Maybe you could even get into the 200 range if you count like the Dominican Summer Leagues or anything like that. You're, it's a very stressful process. And I understand that they want to try to help their players. I don't believe the owners are like evil and they're like, oh, like I want to hoard all my money for myself. But I I feel like they want to try to help the players in the end. However, I do side with the MLB players. Looking at that arbitration, arbitration, like I said, is a messy process. But the player, obviously, the players—they're—they're they're professional athletes. They're perform—they're perfecting their bodies every day. They're—they're tr- they're constantly training. They can't. Well, I mean, that's kind of hard for them to do right now when their facilities are locked up and they can't enter it. They're trying—they try to eat right. It, there's a mental aspect to it too. It's very stressful on the players and, for developing your bodies and to be consistent, especially in baseball. Baseball is one of the hardest sports to be consistent at. So if I wanted to give it to anyone, I guess I'd give it a little more to the players. I'm going to understand where the owners are coming from. I'm not saying the owners are completely wrong, but I'm going to I'm going to side with the players here because obviously that um, service manipulation kind of sucks. Uh, I understand some of the player salaries are going down and it's kind of I, I want to see baseball come back. And I think the players are going to have maybe a slighter upside to getting that to happen. So I'm going to start with the players. Yeah, yeah, I agree with, with the players here. I, I think that, you know, I, I think maybe you're a bit more pro-owner than I am. I think they're, again, being a bit too greedy. I think the DH rule, I I'm I know you're not a, a complete believer in that, Sam. I mean, I'm ter- I mean, I'm thinking, I actually, <laughs> I kind of consider it. I kind of like it now. I know, I know in the past I was like, all pitcher, like pitchers, <laughs> pitchers must bat. Madison Bumgarner. I want to see. I want to see another pitcher grand slam. No, but um, no, I'm kind of I'm kind of siding with it. I see. I really kind of like it, and I understand. I don't want pitchers getting hurt because I've because we have seen that, and it does kind of suck when they get hurt because they're trying to run the bases. That's a good proposal for the owners, but like you're saying, they're leaving out. They're not. They're they're not changing certain things and appeasing to the players who I think have the have the upper hand because as as you say. Of course, 1994-95, they put minor league players. That that's not going to be good in any right for the for for the TV deals that Major League Baseball has with competing with other sports in terms of marketability, in terms of audience. That's not going to be good. So you have the players who are actually going to be going out on the field. They have the leverage here. 
but but there has to be some compromise. I think both sides, whether you side heavily with one side or I mean, I don't know how many people would side with the owners, but you know what? There has to be some compromise. And like you said, it has to be done quickly with spring training, reporting, and of course, the season uh, creeping up as well. Thanks for your insight, Sam. Thanks for your insight on the lockout. Now we go to Justin. NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Justin, what do you got? Thank you, Jacob. Now, last we left off, we were pretty much in the middle of the season. I mean, what happened to us, right? I mean, we got very busy, but we're back. <laughs> we've been we're back slacking now. the holidays. Oh, yeah, we've been slacking. But now we're back, and it's already the playoffs. Super Wild Card Weekend, as you mentioned, Jacob. So let's just dive right into it because we had some great games over yesterday, today, since we're recording this on Sunday, and probably tomorrow, too. So let's just dive right in. We had the first matchup here on Saturday of around 4 o'clock. It was the Las Vegas Raiders, the fifth seed taking on the fourth seed, Cincinnati Bengals. In this game, it ended up being the Bengals winning their first playoff game since 1991 with a final score of 19-26. to Now, this is one that I do want to talk about because there was some controversy with this game, specifically when the Bengals scored their second passing touchdown. This one went to Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone. How this went was Joe Burrow scrambled out of the pocket, and as he was going towards the sideline, he was clearly in bounds as he threw the ball. However, just after he released it, an errant whistle was heard by all of the people in the audience, all the people watching at home. However, the pass was caught, and they ruled it a touchdown. They went back and reviewed, and then they said that it was still a touchdown. Now, I want to open this up because... What do you think? Do you think that this play should have been called back? Or do you think that it was right what the refs did on the field? Now, I just want to applaud what I thought was your play-by-play skills that Justin taking me through. I could have closed my eyes there. You were taking me through the whole play. Uh, just got the sound in the background. But I, I well, think I learned they... from the best. Oh, of course, of course. You're, I'm, you're, you're making me blush. All right. So, so to, to open up the floor here... They should have taken that back. They caught a whistle in the middle of the play. The Raiders' corners and safeties, linebackers as well, in the end zone, stop moving. I mean, if they're still moving, that could have been an interception, could have been an incomplete pass. Of course, Burrow was going out of bounds, could have just gone out of bounds, and then it would have been a fourth down. So I think, and I was listening to Boomer Esiason on the post game. you've got to blow that dead. I think that you've got to blow that dead, and you look at the outcome there. That seven points is uh, that. That's that's the difference. That's the difference right there between a win, tie game there, or even a loss could, depending on how things played out. I think that that that's one that's changed the outcome. Bengals, of course, you know, win and move on. Uh, you know, they played a good game the rest of the way, you know, had some three and outs there. But yeah, definitely a controversial call that I, I think they should have just replayed the down. Yeah, I mean, you bring up some good points there. And as the rules go, I think I agree when you say you gotta replay the down. But as a fan, I'm glad they didn't because I feel as I was watching that play, that it wasn't going to change the outcome whether that was whistled or not because those linebackers there was a clear hole in that zone 
and Tyler Boyd found that hole, and it was a great throw, crossbody, accurate throw to Tyler Boyd, perfectly right on him. I don't know that they could have done much had they had the extra half second to you know really accelerate or not. So I just, as a fan, I believe that it shouldn't have been, but as a rules guy, I think that they probably should have called this one back. So looking at, I guess, the, the game as a whole, I mean... The Raiders fought hard. I, I think, of course, it, being down by, by multiple scores like that, I think, of course, they mentioned it on, on the broadcast, what they've been through the whole season. You got the head coach canned. You got multiple players they had to release um, because of, you know, allegations that we've already talked about on the podcast. But, uh, but yeah, I think think this Raiders team, I think Derek Carr has really proved to, to – to the NFL world, that that he's ready for that stage. He is he is a he is a good quarterback, very borderline, very good quarterback. I want to see what that team does. I I think if they get more offensive weapons, heck, even get another maybe a draft pick on defense or a uh, signee on defense, that team is is right up there with the Chargers. They beat the Chargers, possibly even up there with the Chiefs as well, and for the Bengals. They move on and, you know, can their magical carpet ride? I think their defense is still a bit suspect, but that offense, all the weapons they have, and Joey B smoking Joe Burrow, I think, I think it's, it, they, hey, I think they all, they will go as far as the offense will take them. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess we'll have to see what happens uh, coming up with this game later on, but. For right now, let's move on to the number six seed, the New England Patriots, facing the number three seed, the Buffalo Bills. Oh boy! If, <laughs> if, if anybody hear that inflection in his voice, oh. everyone hear that inflection. Oh, yeah. He is smiling. He is in overjoyed. I Justin mean, that is, is a happy fan ear right now. <laughs> if anybody had any doubt, they didn't know who the East was owned by. It's it's over now. The Buffalo Bills have taken over. The, the AFC East, and it's not even close. It is not talk, even talk, close. Strut your stuff, Justin, because yeah. we have oh, been yeah. on talk this podcast. Yeah, I've, doubting, I've heard a lot of doubt. Yeah, I've yeah. heard a lot of doubt. I heard a lot of doubt. I wish Nate was here so I could, because uh, <laughs> I heard a lot from him specifically, but let's just get into it here. 17 to 47, the final score here. Like I said, this game was never in doubt. Never in doubt. Josh Allen had one of the best quarterback playoff games of all time, 21 of 25, 84%. That's 308 yards, five touchdown passers, a rating of 157.6. And to tack on with that, six rushes for 66 yards. The guy was unstoppable. There were plays when he would throw it, and I just thought, oh, well, he's just, you know, taking a shot. That's not going to work. Or he's just throwing it away. No. He scored touchdowns on those plays. He threw it away in the back of the end zone, and Dawson Knox scored a touchdown. I mean, this was an incredible game. I just, I need to hear your thoughts, Jacob. I mean, I know you're chomping at the bit to, to say something here. Oh, man. Well, what else is there to say? I mean, you just broke down the entire offense. I'll go over to the defensive side. I, I think, of course, you look at the 47 points. That That, that is beating pretty much everyone in this league. I'll, I'll say that you put up 47 against anyone, but, but the 
defense against Mac Jones and company. Of course, the the last game between the two with the whole weather, there was no throwing the ball at all. The the defense that they played, Justin, before we recorded the interception by Micah Hyde, they were the number one defense. And, you know, a bit skeptical how that would translate to the playoffs. Of course, maybe a divisional foe who they, you know, have played multiple times in the season helped that. But, I mean, they were getting it right back to Allen, and Allen and company went right down the field for another touchdown. So I think credit to the defense. But, yeah, offensively, Josh Allen looked like an MVP right there, a guy that, you know, he had his ups and downs in the regular season. But, boy, he turned it on in the first game of the playoffs. And super excited to see how he takes that to the next game against, of course, we don't fully know at this point. But, of course, I, I think that, that – that offense could compete with anyone else in the, the playoffs right now. So I'm very intrigued to see the Bills moving forward. Yeah, I like that you actually said that because I wanted to mention that the Patriots were the fourth-ranked defense in the NFL. And the Bills only had seven drives. And on each one, they scored seven touchdowns, which actually ties a record for the most consecutive touchdown drives in a single game. Who, which was also previously owned by the Patriots. so Probably one of those Tom Brady teams, right? It was 07 Pats against the Bills, actually. The irony. The, the irony. irony. Look at that. The, the script. The full circle. Yeah, yeah. But I guess looking at the Patriots, too, I mean, going out embarrassing fashion. I mean, of course, the Bills fans all getting the last laugh on the Patriots with all those those brother jokes of the Patriots, you know, for all those years. And now the Bills having their great moment. But the Patriots moving forward, of course, offseason. I mean, Mac Jones probably, you know, of course, it's up for debate. But one of the best rookie quarterbacks playing so far, if not the best in how he played, Damian Harris, I think maybe, you know, if they can get another draft pick for a wide receiver, they're all kind of middle-of-the-pack guys who stepped up. But I think there may be an aging offensive lineman. You draft an offensive lineman. I know, of course, Bill Belichick with his drafting gems. But I, I think, you know, they're a playoff team. So, I mean, not many people would think it after last year, but... Bill Belichick got him there, I think, some tinkering around, and, and they could be right back in the playoffs next year. Yeah, I can totally see that. I just, I'm not 100% on Mac Jones, because I never can tell what's going to happen with a rookie season. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. look at Baker Mayfield had one of the best rookie seasons ever, and now he's just mediocre at best. Yeah. You know, Josh Allen had a terrible rookie season, and now he's one of the best players in the league, so you'd never know based on the rookie season. So you just, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, if I could say something here, I think Mac Jones, I don't, th I think, yeah, is there room for improvement? Of course there is. There's, a, there's improvement for all these rookie quarterbacks. I think Mac Jones definitely, like Jake said, I think he definitely did perform the best. I know Zach Wilson for the Jets was hurt for a little bit, didn't have a couple, had a really couple stinkers of games there i know justin fields he played all right at the end of the season he did he seemed did, like he, yeah. he did all right i know justin fields had some trouble because his coach was an idiot for the most part but like <laughs> that's that's a problem in itself i don't really think that has anything i mean justin fields did have a really crappy game there but then again there's always room for improvement and there's always a new season i think mac jones definitely performed pretty well during this regular season and like i said and like you said jake bill belichick can always find some gems and he can find some diamonds in the rough 
And I think we're just going to have to see how creative the Patriots are going to get for this uh, next upcoming season. Yeah, they played a fantastic quarterback, and that fantastic quarterback carved the defense up. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm still saying that defense is good. They just got exposed in every facet. Yeah, they're, they're like I said, number four in the league. <laughs> yeah. Great defense. They were the best defense besides the Bills left in the playoffs, and now they're gone. Yeah, but let's let's stop talking about some losers here. Let's talk about uh, a couple winners. Uh well, I guess we're going to talk about one loser. Moving on then. The number seven seeded Philadelphia Eagles facing the number two seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the matchup Peter wanted, but it didn't pan out the way he thought it was. <laughs> too bad he's not here to talk about his oh, defeat. Yeah. And, and I, I wanted to hear the agony. explanation. I wanted to hear the explanation. But no, 15 to 31, the final score here. This game was never in doubt. Tampa Bay scored 31 unanswered points, only letting up points in the fourth quarter to the Eagles. In garbage time. <laughs> Pretty much. The Eagles turned the ball over three times. I remember flipping this game on for five minutes. That's all it was. And, I and you it saw a turnover. And, and I saw <laughs> two plays happen, okay? I saw Jalen Hurts drop back, and um, he missed a pass over to his tight end. He was like wide open. He would have had a first down. Misses that. Goes somewhere else. Incomplete. Fourth down. They go for it. It's around the 50-yard line. He throws his pass. Intercepted. I mean, it was oh, just yeah. terrible. At that point, I just said, okay, this game's over. I mean, it was just horrible what I was seeing. So I'm not going to act like I saw this whole game or anything, but I will say I did. what I did see was not very impressive. <laughs> so, Jacob, as, a, as an Eagles fan... Yeah, give give me some insight here. Like, make me feel a little better about this team or something. So so let me. I'll I'll start out with this. So you see this? This is a this is a Devonte Smith jersey, right? Devonte yeah, yeah. Smith. We see that the audience. This can. this Devon. Yeah, the, well, the audience, <laughs> the audience. Here we go behind the scenes. Check it out, Devonte <laughs> Smith. This jersey that was hanging right over there through the beginning of the game had the same amount of targets as the first round pick wide receiver. How? How is that possible? How are you not targeting your best player on offense? Okay, Dallas Goddard is good. Miles Sanders is good. Devontae Smith, you know, I'm just going to say it right now, is a future Pro Bowl wide receiver. You know, that could be true or not down the line. Not trying to jinx his career or anything. But he is running. The, the Bucks are playing 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage. They are playing soft coverage, and you're telling me Devontae Smith is running across the middle of the field, wide open, and you're not throwing it to him. I saw the video of Dan Orlowski breaking down the play of Quez Watkins, who was running across the field in what was, I guess, a vertical or a post play, going to the right side. The two safeties were split off to the corner, and Turtz could have thrown a nice floater into the basket and could have ran in for the touchdown. But what did he do? He rolled out to the left and threw a ball that was tipped and nearly intercepted right around the chains. Those are the little mistakes. And, and defense, the defense didn't show up at the beginning. They got better. But that offensive performance, you cannot expect to perform that way offensively against Tom Brady. You cannot come out of the gates that flat offensively with that kind of game plan with the screens. That's what I'll say. That's what I will say. Very disappointing offensively. Defense got better, but it was too late. The offense didn't show you anything. Missed opportunities all the way around. Yeah, so I have to ask again, though, do you think the Eagles had a chance to win this game coming into it? 
Yeah, of course, you know, you've got the biased me, you've got the non-biased. Biased, of course, I am, I am saying to all the betters out there, I was taking the money line, hypothetically, taking the Eagles money line. Non-biased, you know, I thought it was possible, but you know, I it's was always possible. more. It's always possible. It's always possible. Yeah. You know, if they played, you know, ran the football well and kept it away from Brady, they would have given themselves a chance. But the passing, the overthrows, the, the mistakes. I mean, yeah, twenty nine guys making their playoff debut, and well, they zero six going into that game versus playoff teams. I mean, they. They got into the playoffs because they beat bad QBs and bad teams. That That's what I'll say. And, you know, they didn't come to play against a really good quarterback and a defending Super Bowl champion team. So I think if they played better offensively, it's a closer game. Maybe more, you know, I, I closer, closer. At least this next game would have went well for an NFC East fan if uh, I was the one who was picking it, but it did not go that way. Uh, the number six seeded San Francisco 49ers against the number three seeded Dallas Cowboys, 23 to 17, the final score here. This one, this one was odd, if, if I can say the least, because as I was watching the end of this game, it just, the Cowboys had so many chances, yet they, they even got down to this last thing. But in the very last play, Dak Prescott decides to run the ball. He gets great yardage. But they just don't get the snap off in time to down it because he doesn't let the ref touch the ball in time. He hands it to his center instead. So I'm just, this is just bad, just knowledge of the playbook, but or not the rule book. I mean, I don't even know how to like talk about this. This is just, it was just poor play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, poor play. I, I mean, yeah, I just, of course, it made my day a little bit better seeing that, that go the way it did. That was such a bizarre, I'm going to even back it up to not even a minute 30 earlier when you had the Depot Samuel run. They almost get the first down. It is literally an index card index card short of the first down marker all right they they go for it then there's a flag then they gotta punt it away oh wait no there's another flag before they even punt it away a punt and the 49ers they they were letting them out of bounds out of bounds they got it down to the 49ers 40 yard line with about 14 seconds left and there's the infamous play, Justin. That is inexcusable. You you you've got to get your guys out of the way and find the if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna run that play to begin with, which is asinine. I mean, running it, yeah. There's a perfect play. Tony Romo, the mastermind himself, was breaking it down on the broadcast. That's the perfect time to just take your shots. You have at least two shots right there to the end zone with about 14 seconds. You can run them down, one shot, all right, let's say incomplete, and another chance. Instead, running the football in the middle of the field, and then you're, you're trying to get your center to snap it, you got to... You gotta have some self awareness and find the ref to spike it, because there you're inside the twenty and even have a better chance. But yeah, just a lot of mistakes, and that's not even including all of the penalties for Dallas that gave that that the Forty ers run the clock down for fourteen penalties against them. I mean, I think that was the difference in the game. Fourteen penalties ties the postseason high for the team for a single game. 
yeah, that just can't happen. That can't happen, and it's simple stuff. Defensive holding on a run play, tackling guys on a running play. You can't have that, especially when it's third down and you're trying to use a timeout and get the ball back with over a minute 30. That's undisciplined football. Yeah, it was just terrible play. I think that, honestly, some of this has to be boiled down to the coaching, and they might even be in a hot seat entering next season because you just can't let that happen. You have to tell your players what to do in this situation, and they did not execute the way that you're supposed to execute in a pretty much a Hail Mary situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hot seat. You're going hot seat like they didn't win. What was it, 12, 13 game? I, I forget off the top of my head, but... I mean, you got Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn who are both interviewing for head coaching jobs, so they might be on the hot seat for a completely different reason, just hired as well, a head coach somewhere I'm not else. talking you know, offensive not coordinators. I'm talking this is a head, show, a head coach type of decision that yeah. this just was not executed well. And I, I mean, hot seat might be a little early, but he's definitely going to get some second looks going into next season. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, the Niners, moving on. Moving on, we know that for sure. They will be against Green Bay and Lambeau, which right now, of course, with some stuff to be decided, of course, that could be a very, very good game. I think we'll get into picks as well, but I think that that, that will be a very good game. Yeah, I think that that might be a great game. But before we get there, let's just preview some of these extra matchups now as we're recording this it is currently sunday at around what 9 40 right now 9 50 yeah so, so basically the game is still going on however we're going to talk about it a little bit here we have the number seven pittsburgh steelers going up against the number two seed kansas city chiefs this game is currently going on as i said the score right now 7 to 21 halftime is just about to break and it is the chiefs that are up I've been kind of watching this off to the side as we've been going along, uh, as you might have seen from my eyes darting a little bit during Sam's section, but I think that it's going to be a good game going on, but I think it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs that are going to pull away with this one. They're relying too much on their defense, the Pittsburgh Steelers are. Their defense has already scored the touchdown for them. Their offense has done little to nothing, and I can't even say it's all Big Ben's fault. I've seen him do some good stuff. His receivers have been dropping passes. So I think that if this continues, we're about to see as the second half kicks off here, of course, but if that continues and the Chiefs are left unchecked on that side of the ball, it's it's just they're going to run away with it. One in Big Ben say himself that he wasn't picking them to win and saying that, that he didn't care or something like that. But yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I'm honestly in a slight way impressed that it's only 14 at the beginning of the third quarter. I thought of course many people, including myself, I don't know about you guys as well, thought that it would be more than 14 points. And it would have been, I thought this game, not the Bills, Patriots or Eagles, Bucks, this would be the game where, you know, the Chiefs are better, really way better than the Steelers. Um, but Hey, Steelers are keeping it right there between two possessions, but I think the Chiefs are going to move on. Their offense is too good, but I, I'm just, just hypothesizing. I think that they could be a bit more vulnerable than maybe in a, the past few years. I will, I will say that I say they move on, but just to keep in mind moving forward. Yeah, and if they do move on, 
then it'll be set in the AFC as the number three seed Bills will go to the number two seed Kansas City Chiefs to play them at home, rematch of earlier this season, and the Cincinnati Bengals at the four seed will go play Tennessee Titans at the one seed. It, it'll be a pretty interesting divisional round if they end two up. Two really good matchups right there, I would say. I would that say. is two great matchups. But before we get there, let's finish off Super Wild Card Weekend on a Monday night. This game hasn't happened yet, and... I hope I can get this out early tomorrow so then we can, you know, have a, this prediction be a prediction here. Uh, it's the fifth seed Arizona Cardinals, fourth seed Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to just say it right now. I'm gonna, we're going to go right into predictions here. I'm going to predict the Rams win it and by a score of 24 to 31. You mean 31? Yeah, you're going with the, the winning team, 31 to 24. I, I, I go Yeah, down. yeah, I, I gotcha, I gotcha. It's, yeah, it's the, yeah. On the paper, it's the same side as the other yeah. team, so yeah. I, I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. I, 31, 24, we're dishing out scores as well. I know that there's been a few cardinal. This might be, I think I'll say it right now, I think the Chiefs are going to go ahead of the Steelers just going back. I think this is going to be the closest evenly matched game of the Super Wild Card. With Dallas and 40, the 49ers were close, but I'm going to say this might be a, a three-point margin. I think this could be one on a three-point margin. Justin, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I'm on the know, fence. It's tough. Rams are favored by three and a half. Justin, that is where you are wrong. The Cardinals get it done on the road. My uncle, who's a Rams fan in Ohio, is frowning at me right now, but I feel <laughs> like they're going to go down. I feel Kyler Murray, just something about it, something about him. He's just going to turn it on. And the Cardinals, I think, can squeak it out. These divisional wildcard games. I know we talked about the Bills putting the slam on the Patriots. But, I mean, you're talking about the divisional rivals and the wildcard. I think the Cardinals can pull it out in a quiet Los Angeles stadium. We're not even going to talk about that. They had the 49ers really ransack the place last week. I think the Cardinals fans will travel and make an impact. That's very possible. Sam, weigh in on this. What do you got? <laughs> weigh in Sam, on be it. the tiebreaker. I don't know if I know too much about it, but all that I, all that I know is that Kyler Murray should play baseball for the Athletics. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, he's no, making he should not have, a, no, he should not have more baseball. He's making a lot more money. Arizona. He's like he's making yeah. a lot more money than he would have playing baseball. Anyways, I'm going Rams. That's why I'm going Rams. I'm going Rams. Just Rams. I'm going to just give my score prediction. A 27-24 Cardinals with the with the win, of course, sticking with my picks. I think this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game. I'm going to go 35-28 Rams. All right. Fairly, fairly high-scoring. Fairly high-scoring. All right. And if this all holds up, we have our own predictive playoff bracket. If you'd like, we could also do a couple of predicted predictions if, if let's right. let's go predicted predictions all right well i am predicting that the chiefs will win of course so in the afc i am predicting that the number four seed cincinnati Bengals take on the number one seed tennessee titans so there we go first matchup who wins yeah and just an update it's 27 to 7 for fans at home uh but of course you know we'll be coming out after the game is over yeah yeah <laughs> if you if you wanted to hear the but um but yeah i think so would bills bills chiefs and uh was it titans titans and Bengals. you're starting with the the Bengals and titans 
Oh man, that is that is a good one. You've got. I feel like the Titans will take it, but I because I think, as I said before, the Bengals' defense is vulnerable, and if the Titans are getting Derrick Henry back, if AJ Brown and Julio Jones, I mean Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to throw for throw for Joe Burrow. They just have to methodically beat him down, wear down that defense. I I think that the Titans, I think, are the better all-around team. So that's why I say they take it. I think that the Titans are going to win this game, but I think it all depends on what the Titans' defense does. Because if, like you said, I think that Tennessee's offense is going to be able to handle the Bengals' defense pretty well. They might, you know, not be able to stop them a couple times, but if the defense for the Titans, if they can't stop Joe Burrow, they might have some trouble. But they're a very good defense, as you stated, so I think that they will win this one. It just all depends on how they execute. And then, of course, our other matchup, three-seed Bills, two-seed Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead, rematch of the regular season. The Bills won that one, 38-20, I believe the score was. Who comes away? with this one man this should be a championship matchup right here shame it's just it was a, a season ago it was a season ago you are correct mr reed hammer but i the team that i'm going with is the buffalo bills stand up new york stand up justin put on your bills hoodie put on your bills pants we are going jump to through the that AFC table <laughs> yes Go through the table, jump through that table with all those fun people in the parking lot because the Bills are going to the championship, uh, cha- AFC championship. This is Josh Allen's year. I think he will he will put on display what what, what he maybe not set all those touchdowns against the Patriots, but I think he can go into Arrowhead and and win and lead that team. He has shown that he's a leader, but it will definitely be a close, very close game and possibly come down to the last possession. I have to agree with you there, Jacob. I think the Bills are going to win that game, and I think it's going to be a great game, as you said, but I think that you're right, you know. I think Josh Allen is just primed this season, and I think he'll make it to the championship once again. But then on the other side, we have an actual guaranteed matchup here. This one's actually going to happen. The six-seed 49ers facing off against the one-seed Green Bay Packers. Who wins this one? Another good game. All these hypotheticals, which really just could be, uh, could of course, this one is going to happen. Of course, the AFC is hypothetical at the moment, but... Man, a good matchup. Jimmy G, who lives to see another day in a 49ers uniform going up against the Packers. Again, just like the Bills Chiefs, these two teams have been matched up before. Talking to on the broadcast, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, a lot of lot of things that the 49ers can do to kind of neutralize Aaron Rodgers. But I I, I can't pick against Aaron Rodgers. It seems like him and Brady, Mahomes in there, Allen as well, maybe. I I don't know. It's tough to pick against some of these great quarterbacks, and I'm not going to pick against Aaron Rodgers. It will be close, and hey, just like the regular season matchup, could end on a final field goal, but I think the, the Packers pull it out in Lambeau. I'd also have to agree with you there. I think the Packers are just a great all-around team, and I think Aaron Rodgers is just 
unstoppable. So I I gotta go with that as well. But we'll we'll get now to our final this one the potential matchup. You you have the Arizona Cardinals. I had the Rams. So. Really, let's just say one of those two teams, because I think that either one of them are probably going to have around the same chances against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. So, what do you got? Oh, man. Now, I could flip the script here and ask you which team has a better chance to beat the Bucs. Not who's going to win, but who do you think, without, without, of course, the picks aside, has a better chance to beat Tom Brady and the Bucs? Well, that's very, very tough because the Bucks they have that great defense, that great defensive line. But I think that if I'm going to go with somebody to beat the Bucks, I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals. Because like I've seen, I think that in order to beat them, you need a quarterback that's a little more mobile. Somebody who can get out of that trouble that that defensive line is going to show you and can make an accurate pass downfield or take off and run. And I just think that Kyler Murray can do that far and away better than uh matthew stafford so i gotta go with you know the arizona cardinals having the better chance but i'm not sure who's gonna make it of course so of course of course well i mean the in my hypothetical cardinals going against the bucks i i think tom brady mr thanos mr goat himself inevitable uh, i i think he he pulls it out. Like you said, Kyler Murray might make it tough, and I think the Cardinals have the better rushing attack that can balance out that offense. But Tom Brady, I, I think that Cardinals defense, Cardinals Rams defense, both better than the Eagles in terms of, I think, giving more pressure, different looks to Brady. But I, I think Brady will find a way to move on to the NFC Championship game. Tom Brady is inevitable. But Matthew Stafford is Iron Man. I'm going I'm gonna go with the upset win here, the Los Angeles Rams in my prediction. I think the Rams will win this game. They beat him in the regular season. I think they can beat him again. Wow. Wow. I, hey, hey. I, you'd love to see it. You'd love to see that. Well, Justin Sam Short Staffed episode. We did it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Lunch Hour Sports Podcast. And thanks, Anchor, for once again sponsoring this week's episode. You can check out future episodes on YouTube and Spotify. And our anniversary is coming up, our yearly Lunch Hour Sports Podcast anniversary as well. Tune in for news on the Twitter and socials for a stream and more episode. Thank you all for listening.